0: Let's turn to the scripture reading this morning. We're going to the book of Romans. This is the second Sunday of Missions Month. My absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to share God's word. Let's look at these three verses of Romans chapter one. I'll read it for us, uh, starting at verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is God's word for us so far. Thanks be to God. The apostle Paul was altogether unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember in high school, I was unashamed of the gospel on a mission trip to a foreign country with people who had obvious needs. But when I came back to my high school, I was ashamed. Awfully quiet, self-conscious, scared. Because at my high school, these students and classmates of mine were incredibly well-off, well-to-do, promising bright futures. At that age, I couldn't discern too many obvious needs. And so I was embarrassed that I was a Christian and embarrassed to share the gospel Why? Why? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ wasn't that good to me, so therefore, how could it be that good for other people? If the gospel of Jesus isn't that good to me, if it's not that good to me, how could it be for others? Uh, In college, I remember staring at my father's casket at his funeral, and several realizations started to begin. Wow, there's like no strength or status or smarts or science or medicine or technology that could prevent anyone from dying. While staring at his casket, I even realized, oh, there's no such thing, at least as far as I know, of a fountain of youth. And even, even all the religious fervent prayers, prayers on my dad's behalf while he laid in a hospital, seemingly, seemingly, it seemed like it was, uh, didn't have the power to raise him or protect him from death. You know, much worse, as the Apostle Paul warns here, it's not just physical impending death, but he says, Who can be saved from the wrath of God to come? The wrath of God to come. Frankly, my friends, how do people in this room and listening in today, starting with myself, how do you become less self conscious? less worried about how people will react and treat you? How do you become less concerned about what category you might be placed in when you identify yourself with Jesus and become more bold, more compassionate on a regular basis? How does that happen how do you and I become unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we began mission month last week, and we went through an Acts sermon series. Once again, here's the promise from Jesus himself. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The only way you and I become more unashamed, more natural and habitual and regular in courage and compassion, like the early church, is to be moved and filled by the very Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit works on you, the Holy Spirit will make you less ashamed because the Holy Spirit's primary mission is to glorify and center all of the cosmos upon Jesus Christ by spreading his gospel. The Holy Spirit is on an unfailing mission to glorify Jesus Christ as God and Savior by spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. That's called evangelism. Today I just got two questions. Two questions about the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Two questions about the power of the Spirit of God. First, saved from what? What does the power of God save you from? How is that power exercised in you? And then second question, empowered for what? All right, two questions. Two questions about the Spirit's power. The power of God saves you from what? And then second Empowered for what? And that empowerment is practical things. All right, first, save from what? What does the gospel of Jesus save you from? And everyone you know. Exactly, precisely, what does the gospel save you from? Paul says nothing less than the fury. The anger, okay, the word is wrath, wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God is nothing like our wrath. It's holy wrath, holy, holy wrath, perfect wrath, never over the top, never moody, never unjust. The wrath of God, just like God, is perfect in its nature, in its timing, and in its execution and it's coming it's definitely coming it has been happening in some forms as apostle paul would indicate here the wrath of god is unleashed unleashed if you read the rest of romans chapter one after we just read because we all suppress the truth we're all suppressors we're all repressors we're all deniers we all want to live delusional All of us here don't actually really want to think. Like we really don't want to face what you might have to face after your physical death. But Paul warns the wrath of God, which is unadulterated and pure. It's like there's no, there's no pollutions to it. It's perfect. I mean, you think about some of the atrocities and agonies going around the world right now there are millions if not billions of people crying out for some judge to come sweeping in like a superhero movie to wipe out all these evil abusers these warlords these tyrants yes he is coming and he is holy and true but if you read the rest of Romans 1 I know if you grew up in the church or you're familiar with the Bible in any way or you've kind of breathed in American church culture, okay? If you read the rest of Romans 1, you're like, yes. Yeah, of course. Pastor, preach it today. Yes, the wrath of God, the judgment of God is going to be unleashed on people like that. Just read it. Those are really gross, sinful people out there. And God must judge them. You know, those are the people who usually say something like, we're on the right side of history. We're on the cutting edge. It used to be like that, but we now know what is righteous and good for us now. Ah, but I want you to know, you and I have to be saved from the wrath of God that is unleashed against All. Oh, don't don't skip that little word there. All oh, ungodliness and unrighteousness. I remember in college or high school, a popular preacher was saying the AIDS epidemic was a sign of the wrath of God unleashed in San Francisco against the homosexual community. You know, there are a lot of people, even in this room, who think, well, of course, those people who always say I'm on the right side of history, they should be judged. But, oh, how about those who think you're on the right side of God, that you you are always on the right side of God? And according to that preacher, if he is saying that the wrath of God comes through AIDS to those who are homosexuals, by implication, what he is saying is this. If you are cisgender heterosexual, you will be saved from the wrath of God. Not true. Not true. Nobody in this room, heterosexual, homosexual, nobody in this room, moral or immoral. Hmm? Nobody in this room, churched or unchurched, will be saved from the wrath of God. Why? Why? Because it's unleashed against all. All. Not just their kind, your kind, my kind. The wrath of God is unleashed against apparent, obvious unrighteousness and ungodliness. And do you know what anger God is really angry about? Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. That somehow... We are so much better than, and just fill in the blank. Huh. I'm not making this up. The wrath of God is something you and I must be saved from. And you being a good person and religious won't do it. It will not do it. Look at chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, you feel better than other people, you see? For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Again, oh yes, God, judge and unleash your wrath on those obvious sinful people. Verse 3. But do you suppose, O man, or woman, or child, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Here's Paul's point. God's wrath is going to be unleashed against all kinds of ungodliness and unrighteousness and self-righteousness. Francis Schaeffer used to say, if there were a device that could be attached to your throat, your vocal cords, and it could record every time in the entirety of your life you ever said, you should do that. Hey, hey, come over here, listen to me. You ought to do this. No, no, you know that's the right thing to do. You better vote for him. You should parent like this. If we had a recorded device that could record every time you ever told anyone else what to do. Can I ask you, my dear friend, did you keep all the shoulds and all the oughts and all the laws that you issued out to other people? Parents, do you practice all that you preach? Do you keep your own standards? Can you even keep all the words you dished out on other people? Here's what Apostle Paul's point, let alone God before God's God's laws. You must be saved from the wrath of God to come. Every single person in this room, God's wrath is holy and pure and perfect, and He will deal with you. You must be saved from that. Did you know that? Did you know you must be saved from something? My goodness, an infinite eternal wrath. Do you know that every single person starting with myself must stand before a holy God and God will give out what is just? Well, only when the Holy Spirit has you grasp What Jesus had to do to save you from the wrath of God. When the Holy Spirit moves and fills you with the gospel. You see, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you from the wrath of God. The people in this room who really know and feel how insurmountable and true and infinite is the very thing you must be saved from. Then it becomes too good to contain and the Holy Spirit empowers you. You see, the Holy Spirit loves to use that, loves to empower you so that you would grasp what you were saved from. Then and only then, you're not going to be ashamed. No longer ashamed. You must be saved from something. Saved from what? All right, here's the second part. Empowered for what? All right? The Holy Spirit gives you power for something, saves you from something, now empowered for something. Four P's, okay? Four P's. All very practical. Number one, the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is anywhere near you, okay? If the Spirit of God is working in any way or fashion in you, the Holy Spirit pushes you. You're pushed. You're pushed. You're pushed. You see, if you're a Christian believer today, that same Holy Spirit pulled you, okay? Pulled you in. The Holy Spirit irresistibly calls and pulls people in. To do what? To repent and believe in Jesus. To worship Jesus and follow Jesus. That is a miracle. Always a miracle. It could happen today. But the same Holy Spirit who pulls you in with the miracle pushes you out to invite other people to believe and follow Jesus. We heard from missionary Lloyd Kim last week, the Holy Spirit does trouble you, disturbs you, makes you uncomfortable. Maybe other times makes you so filled with compassion and joy and love that you are pushed out. I want you to take much heart and courage this day. The Holy Spirit, if he is pushing you, pushing you, pushing you to glorify Jesus by sharing his gospel. If the Holy Spirit is the one pushing you, then you can rest assured it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do the persuading. He's going to close. He's going to be the convincer. He's going to be the one that completes it. It's not up to you. I know too many people who grew up in a church and say, well, you know, Pastor, I I can't evangelize and talk about Jesus. I don't even know what the gospel is. I'm going to help you in about 10 minutes here. I don't know. They're going to have so many objections. There's so many questions. I don't know how to answer them. Okay, I get it. I'm not equipped to answer all those objections and questions. But here's the issue you have. But the Holy Spirit pushes you to do it. Do you really think the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, push the believers before, like only after they were ready to answer all the questions and objections? No, 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 no. I know for some of you also, let's be honest, you don't want to speak of Jesus because of the way you act at those PTA meetings or on the sports field. Oh, my goodness. Some parents and other people in the stands like, you go to church, you're a Christian, really? You're concerned about that or how you behave and function at the workplace, Friends, let me encourage you. Christian people, before a non believing world, you do not have to be perfect. No one expects you to be be perfect. But the Holy Spirit pushes you, pushes you, pushes you to progress and to be honest. Just to be honest. Well, I really messed up the other day. I really shouldn't have acted that way the other day. I'm so sorry. If the Holy Spirit is the one doing the pushing, like the Holy Spirit is pushing me throughout this week to preach and tell you about Jesus, my ultimate hope and confidence is the same Holy Spirit that's going to do any work and persuade you. In a classic work, Evangelism, the Sovereignty of God, by J.F. Packer, here's his encouragement. You are not wasting either your time or theirs. You have no reason to be ashamed of your message or half-hearted and apologetic in delivering it. You have every reason to be bold and free and natural and hopeful of success. For God can give his truth effectiveness that you and I cannot give it. Thanks be to God. God can give it effectiveness that you and I cannot give it. Empowered for what? What does the Holy Spirit give you power for? He empowers you to be pushed. Listen, my friends. The next time you are pushed, I'm talking about an instinct, an impulse, a feeling, a desire. Can you please stop resisting that? Can you please stop shutting your mouth at that party or on the plane or at that school board meeting? Or on the soccer field? I dare you to obey it because that is how you grow. And you might just start feeling the power of the Holy Spirit. You just might start feeling the dynamic, growing power of the Spirit of God when you obey His push. You are pushed. You are pushed. Number two, number two, patience, patience. Pre-COVID stat, over 90% of Los Angelinos do not attend any one local church. Many people couldn't bear to step foot into a physical church. But I do know this of most everyone. All the more so post-COVID. People are starving. <laughs> they are starving for real connection. For in-person contact and care. We all are made and we long for authentic community. Ah, but here's what the Holy Spirit gives you, right? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience. Let me ask you, my friends, do you think our world is dying for loving, joyful, peaceful, and patient people? And when Christian people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are after relationships, not results, please, I'm not talking about a project here. I'm talking about people you would love, whether they come to faith or not. And by the way, people can tell whether or not they're a project or a person you love. If the Holy Spirit gives you patience over time, that's actually how you best gain a credibility or influence or a hearing in the first place. Rosaria Butterfield in a book entitled Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She was the head of the English department at Syracuse University. She wrote a public article that was a scathing critique of the Christian faith. A scathing critique, like a demolition of what she perceived to be as Christianity. A lot of it is true. Well, of all the hate mail she received, one pastor responded to Rosaria graciously And hospitably. He actually invited her over to his home, and she dared to go and she went and thought it would be the most awkward but easy thing to demolish the arguments of this evangelical reformed pastor. But that one dinner turned into months and months of just casual, regular conversation over a meal. And do you know what Zarya concludes in the book? She was converted to Christian faith. Why, how? It was just gradual. It just took some time. And she felt there was a person who wanted to connect and love on her. Uh, Rico Tice, who wrote this material called Christianity Explored that I used to use. Maybe I should bring it back someday. But here was his observation. The old models of knocking on a door, you know, there's evangelists, you might know them as Mormons of the Church of the Latter day Saints. Hardly do you have Christians now doing this. That's good and bad. But the old models of knocking on a door became popular in part because they didn't require much time. For Americans, as far as I can observe, this is the biggest struggle. But if you are going to show that you care about relationships, not just responses, and you are there to listen, not lecture, all that requires time. All that requires time. All that requires time. Maybe the greatest obstacle and hindrance to Christian people in the U.S. of A. today is you have such precious little time and energy left. But it's going to require that. Oh, it will. It requires patience, invested To love someone else. Two Ps so far. The Holy Spirit pushes you. The Holy Spirit grants you patience. Number three. Number three. We only got four, okay? The third is present. Now you gotta present something. Yeah, you gotta talk. Yeah, you gotta share something. There's gotta be some content. Some information sharing. Some knowledge, all right? Given to another person. Present the gospel personally. Present the gospel personally. You know, the more you love someone the more you listen to someone, the more you learn from someone, the more you care about someone, the more you serve someone over time, you will become really good at discerning what that person's real dreams and needs are. And if you become good at understanding what that person is really all about or what the person really is hurting over, then you are better equipped to present the gospel of Jesus to that person's needs. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, it is marvelous that you can take the same gospel, the same content, it is not compromised, the same good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, but it is presented in different forms. There's varied presentations of it. Os Guinness, in one of his books, He said, Jesus never shared about himself the same way twice. Isn't that amazing? Jesus Christ himself didn't have like a cookie cutter program. Just go repeat that line. No, it might be helpful, but he never shared about himself the same way twice. Friends, friends, it's not hard. It's really not hard. It's really doable. What's most important is patience and love over time. If you care about someone, you will automatically know, oh, this someone whom I love and then thinking about and spending time with, he or she needs to hear this about my Jesus. You know, last night, Sonny and I are going to become empty nesters. My youngest daughter came back from her college orientation it was a sleepover on Friday to Saturday and asked her, Elizabeth, how was it? She goes, Dad, I'm sad to be home. <laughs> Thanks for that answer, Elizabeth. I'm sad to be home. Answered prayer. She loves it at school already at orientation. Then throughout this week, at least two times, my wife, my dear wife, one night I was kind of putting her to bed and I kind of sensed that she was sad. I actually thought she might be crying. Hey, Sonny, are you okay? And... She responded by saying, I don't want the girls both to go to college. What am I going to do? I'm stuck with you. (laughs) Sad. Sad empty nesters to be. I need a gospel. I don't even have the answer yet. Someone tell me a gospel after this service, okay? Empty nesters need a gospel. We need to be told about who Jesus is and what he has done through this season and stage of life because it actually can be profoundly sad. If you're anything like me, maybe you have friends who are anxious and fearful. Look at this, anxiety and fear. And I suggest to you that you are too, um, hmm, I say this, you might be too sensitive, you're too vulnerable, and you're crushed By people's judgment of you. Can I suggest something of you? It's because you're probably haunted and unsure about God's judgment on you. Our world is dying right now because as much as you say, I don't care what people think, you're probably the person who cares the most about what people think. And if you're crushed by what people think and say or judge or critique about you, It's ultimately, the Bible would say, it's because you're not sure. You're really unsure about your maker, God, and what he thinks and would judge you for. So listen, you have everything to be anxious about. You should dread it. You should be fearful. You should be crushed by fear if you were to face a holy God based upon your own record and performance. But the gospel is you have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. If you are judged on the basis of the record and the performance of Jesus Christ in your place. The gospel tells you you have everything to fear if you trust yourself. You have nothing to fear however if you put your faith don't try to work up to it but you put your faith upon Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5:21 one of the most epic gospel presentations. By the way, this fall sermon series is going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. I can't wait. I will begin to spell out to you how perfect it is for our church in this season, starting with myself. But 521 reads this. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, the son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is whole substitution. Total substitution. Total substitution. You have everything to fear if you have to stand and account for yourself before God. But if there is a substitute savior that you would put your belief in, that you would love and worship and adore and follow, you have nothing to fear. The anxiety will be drained. The fear will calm. How about friends or families who are doers, okay? They're hard workers, high achievers. All religions will tell you what to do so that you can get God to love you and accept you. That's all religions, world religions, philosophies, systems. It's all based on what you do, how you prove yourself. But the gospel comes along and says, all of it's done. It's done. Here's John chapter 9, 19, verse 30. It reads, when Jesus had received the sour wine, this is when Jesus Christ was hanging, suffering, excruciating pain upon a cross. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's finished? Why was Jesus saying it is finished? What is he talking about? What's finished? Here's what's finished. Everything God would expect and ask and want from you and I has been finished and completed in your place by Jesus Christ living and dying and going to death. What you need to do All of it has been done, done through faith in Jesus Christ. Just one more topic about presenting the gospel more personally, individually, customizing it. How about evil and suffering? Is there anyone left who hasn't tasted evil and suffering? If you take ancient and modern worldviews, if you take ancient and modern and Eastern and Western philosophies and self help groups and religious studies on what you should do with suffering, it basically boils down to two camps. Two camps. Number one says this suffering is inevitable. Just accept it, endure it. Just grit your teeth and get through it. What's wrong with you? Be a strong person. That's one. Another worldview. Another teaching is, well, make sure you avoid it, escape it, medicate yourself away from it, numb yourself away from it, numb yourself from it. It's one of those two. Evil and suffering is something either you grit yourself through, just barely make it through, or it's something entirely now in our culture and generation, avoid it. It's actually absurd that you should have experienced it and make sure that you have all kinds of safety nets and boundaries so you can never really have to go through it. But can I suggest something to you, my friends? If you buy into either worldview, if you buy into either kind of philosophy or religion, we all know this, but when you suffer the loss of the very thing that you have lived your whole life for, it's not livable. When evil and suffering comes to you and robs you of the very thing or person or goal that you've lived your whole life for, what then? Oh, here comes along the gospel of Jesus. Here comes the gospel of Jesus. It's actually previewed in one of the most famous Psalms you've ever heard or read Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Let me just stop there, verse four. Tell me another God who comes and walks with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Most gods are immune. Most gods are not empathetic. Most gods don't ever become human. Tell me another God who bleeds Tell me another God who cries. Tell me another God who goes through the valley that you're going through. In this psalm, David says, I know a God. I know a God who would walk with me, be with me in my greatest suffering. I'm going to skip to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord Forever and ever and ever. My friends, this day, if you're going through evil and suffering, you're anxious and fearful. You're always anxious about how much you've done, and it's never good enough. It's never good enough. You're not sure if it's ever good enough. If you're ever, ever, ever good enough, can you please hear me to this day? There's a gospel for you. The sweetest life-giving news for you. It's good, good news. There is someone that Jesus, that God sent in the person of his son Jesus, who would walk through the valley, but come out on the other side, be raised from death, so that into eternity future. Look, you're suffering, egregious, horrible. Christianity never says minimize it, pretend it, never think it's that bad. No, 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 that's not Christianity. It's so realistic. However, it's limited, it is temporal. It is 90 years at best, but this psalm tells us God sent someone to walk with you, be with you, be all out for you in the valley of the shadow of death. You can fall into his arms when you cry and suffer so much, and then he's going to make verse 6 come true. Goodness and mercy. Mercy. I'm not talking about a one-to-one compensation here anymore, guys. I'm talking about, this seems to me, goodness and mercy will so outdo. It's gonna blow all the compensations. It's forever. It's without end. It's all the days into your future. Your best days are ahead. If you have Jesus Christ walk with you, suffer with you, but redeem and liberate you one day from all evil and suffering. And it'll never touch you again. My friends, present the gospel. Present the gospel. People are dying for the gospel. I will die without the gospel. You have no hope to be saved from the wrath of God to come apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit emblazons and fires and emboldens and empowers you with that same gospel, you will be pushed. You will have patience. You can present the gospel a little better. Last thing, last thing, the Holy Spirit empowers you to pray. To pray. Every letter Apostle Paul ever wrote is riddled with requests for prayer. And I ask of you, dear friends at CCSC and listening in, the next time you actually dare to obey the push of the Holy Spirit and speak and share the name of Jesus or invite him to anything with church, okay, anything with church, so that maybe you're, you want them to hear something about the gospel from someone else. Fine. That's great. We're all in this together. But when you do that, I will, I'm almost going to guarantee something. I think you're going to begin to pray like you've never prayed before. Because you know how impossible and crazy this is. You can't do the mission of God, of evangelism, without the spirit of God. And you're actually going to be now pressured a little bit in a good way of, ooh, I mentioned the name of Jesus. Someone now perceives and associates me with Jesus ooh, I better uh, start behaving a little better. I better start stepping up a little better. I better actually be a more honest, humble, less angry, maybe more forgiving, more character person. And all of that, oh, my friends, don't you see how good that is? That will get you to pray for the person that you want to come to faith in Jesus Christ and also get you to pray over yourself, over you and how you're living. The Holy Spirit pushes you, the Holy Spirit gives you patience, the Holy Spirit gets you to present the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit just gets you to pray your heart out. Pray your heart out. Pray it out, pray it out. And I think one of the greatest hindrances to people evangelizing for Jesus, being bold and unashamed, or even getting involved in the life of the church is something so ordinary. It's just something so regular. It's just you have such little precious time and energy left. Friends, friends, let me, let me again encourage you. You are so overly exhausted. Your bodies are falling apart. Your hearts are like a nervous wreck. Your heads are spinning. Your kids are in like 10,000 activities every weekend. You're barely making it to work. You come home so exhausted and tired. You have no idea what to do. You know what that's called? That's called ordinary American suburb life. You are doing exactly what our entire world and culture does. And if you have no time and energy left for evangelism or for the life of the church, can I suggest something to you? Would you please go home and pray over these things? Because when you pray and just share, confess all these things to God, because God alone is going to recover your sanity, your perspective, your priorities, and hopefully only the Holy Spirit of God can give you the power to do this. The Holy Spirit of God gave you the power not to do all things well. Newsflash. Hey, parents, hey, families, did you know the Holy Spirit of God doesn't make you do everything well? It doesn't make your kids do everything well, but you sure should do a couple things well. And that is to love and worship Jesus above all else. And second, when you're pushed, to share about what Jesus has done for you. This is what the Holy Spirit came to give you power for. This is what glorifies and pleases God. This is the primary calling of anyone who believes and follows Jesus. And may the Holy Spirit empower you to all these ends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the power of your word and your spirit. Please clear us. Please navigate, lead us by the hand through all the muck and the Excuses and fears and just straight disobedience at times. Push us. Fill us with patience. Equip us and compel us with the gospel that people are dying for, starting with myself, and drive us into prayer. Drive us into prayer for you alone are the extraordinary. You alone can do what we cannot do. And Lord, I pray most of all this day for anyone in need of someone, a savior who came down to live and die and rise again for me in my place to be loved and forgiven and accepted by God. Lord Jesus, bring them today to faith, to pray to you, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I turn from living for myself. I want to live for you. Bring them into the life of your church so that you would be so pleased and glorified. Lord, receive our worship now and our responses as we continue. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.